from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God and Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Jonah um, one seventeen to three ten. So hopefully you can find in the bubbles where the bookmark is, or follow on the screen beforehand behind me. Sorry. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and nights. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, "In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and You listened to my cry." You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deeps surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me, beneath barred me in forever. But you, my Lord, my God, brought up my life from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to the worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on the sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the kings and his nobles, do not let animals, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, If you've got an outline, if that's helpful for you to follow on on the outline, please uh, do that and uh, take some notes if if, if that helps you. Why don't I pray and we'll get into this uh, great book again. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can be here together as your people this morning. And we ask now as we uh, consider your word that it will pierce our hearts and transform us. Amen. Let me ask you a question. It's not a rhetorical question. You can yell out answers. Um, I want to know, what is it that you love? I asked Jack on the way down. He came with me and he said food. So there you go. It can be anything. What have you got? Pardon? Yes, excellent. Parents, what else? What do you love? I absolutely love holidays. Kids? Life? Sunshine and creation. It's pretty beautiful down here. There's many things that we love. Let me ask you the question, how do we know what you love? How do you know that you love those things? How would you answer that question? Because you talk about them all the time. Because you engage with them and you respond to them, don't you? I know that I love coffee because I drink it three times a day, usually. Sometimes when I'm being really bad, there might even be a fourth one. And I enjoy it because of the taste of it, and I engage with it. That's unimportant, it's just coffee, but I love my wife, and so I respond to her and live life with her in a way that, well, we should as husband and wife. I know I love my wife because of, well, the way we spend time together, hopefully we respond rightly. You see, how do you know what you love is very much linked into the way that you respond to it. I could say I love my wife and then never ever see her or talk to her or speak to her, 
that's not a very good response and will kind of indicate, even if I said I love her, maybe I don't. I think what we're going to be challenged with today is that how do we know that we love God and how do we know that we love the heart of God is how we respond to it. And how we respond to it, I think, we see is in a very uh, specific way in which particularly Jonah has no clue of. To help you remember where we're going, uh, our goal for the series has been, has been two things. Our goal last week, this week and next week is to see God's heart. To as we engage in this amazing story, see what drives God's heart. And as we see what drives God's heart, we don't just leave that out there as if that's good to know. We let God's heart examine our own hearts and shape our heart. That's what we started to do last week. And as we did that last week, we kicked off and we saw that the theme of Jonah is very much God's grace and compassion. And the verse there on the screen, I knew that you are gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah says begrudgingly in chapter 4 of Jonah. God's grace, grace and compassion was where we started last week. And it's not what we leave behind. What we're doing today and next week is seeing how that grace and compassion is expressed in God's heart. You see, God's heart is kind, not full of hate. It's gracious, not vindictive vengeance. It's compassionate, not cruel. And so how does this heart express itself to humanity? Well, what we see, which we've already had alluded to in in the kids' spot, is God's gracious heart wants to save. That's what God wants to do. And we see this pattern in the the story of of, of Nineveh play out over and over, uh, in the story of Jonah, play out over and over again. In chapter 1, last week, we see the sailors... They were saved by God. We see Jonah kind of saved twice when he's saved from uh, death in, in, uh, when he's thrown over and then when he looks like he's not going to last long in the whale and then he's vomited out in, in the whale. I did it again. The fish, um, he's, he's saved as he's vomited out. And then we see the Ninevites and the Ninevites, well, they're, they're rescued from calamity that God had promised Uh, when Jonah finally gets there. God's gracious heart wants to save. And so we should look at, look at this picture. We should look at, uh, well, how does he save Jonah? What's going on with the Ninevites? You see, as we look at chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see something very, uh, very astounding about who God is. You see, what we see is Jonah, Jonah is actually someone who has a big problem. Jonah has a big problem and it's his problem is salvation. See, what happens in this story with Jonah in chapter 2 is, is uh, Jonah, Jonah actually wants to reject what God has done. In chapter 3, we see 
he doesn't understand God's grace. But the trick is in chapter 2 of Jonah, it kind of looks like he gets it on the surface. He says all this stuff about God, which is true. But if we look into his heart, we'll see a problem. If you've got uh, Jonah chapter 2 there, just have a look with me at it. Because what we see is we see some really complex things about Jonah. See, what he says inside inside the fish... Well, first of all, note that he's praying. So he's talking to God, which is different from running from him. And what he does in verse 2 is he calls out to the Lord. He calls out to the Lord and he answers. God answers him. Jonah describes what God has done. He says, God, you have saved me when I've been at the point of death. Verse 3, I'm hurled into the deep into the very heart of the sea, and there's this great imagery of what's going on for Jonah. In the ocean, with no hope, the chaos of the water, he is being destroyed. The point of death, verse 4, he describes as being banished from your sight. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threaten. He's at the point of death. And it's here where God gives him life, in verse 6. You brought my life up from the pit. God brings life out of death. Did you see the story of um, the other week, that unbelievable footage of uh, Nick Fanning, the surfer? Did you see that shark? That was unbelievable. If you were watching that at the time and you didn't know that he was okay... You see the fin of the shark, you see him go down, you think, he's gone. He is is gone, there is no hope for him. And as if he wasn't cool enough, a surfer who's a world champion, he punches a shark in the head and it goes away and he survives. Unbelievable. He was at the point of death. He was thinking, there's no way out of this. At the brink of death, he escaped. Not even Nick Fanning in the water could have saved Jonah. God brought him out of the pit. He can't get out of a pit. If there's no rope, there's no ladder, you're in the pit, there's no way of climbing out of it, you're stuck in there, someone needs to reach in and pull you out. And he's pulled out by God from death to life. As his life is ebbing away... God reaches in and pulls him out. Jonah acknowledges that God's done this for him as he's in the fish. And so he says the grand, all-encompassing summary in verse verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. No one else can do it. No one else can save when all is lost. And so as those great words are said, the very thing, the next thing that happens in the drama, the second part of his saving. Verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah 
onto dry land. Salvation by regurgitation is what happened with Jonah. God commanded and it happened. God saved Jonah. We'll get to the sincerity of Jonah a bit later. But it's very clear what is going on with, with, with God and his saving. When we turn our minds to the Ninevites in chapter 3, we see this play out again. God's saving uh, a people from calamity. The word finally comes and it's a word of judgment. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned, verse 4. You see, God's salvation comes to Nineveh with a word of judgment. That's interesting that it plays out like that. The Ninevites respond and respond with genuine repentance, it seems. And so, they hope that God will relent. You're saying that we need to be judged. We say, okay, that's, we kind of pillage and destroy and treat each other horrendously. But if we repent, maybe God will relent. In verse 10, the key verse for you to see, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, back to our theme, had compassion and did not bring upon them destruction. It's a salvation that meant judgment promised would be removed. It's a salvation that is applied when a right response to God's word is made. Not a, you've earned my salvation because of what you've done. No, you've responded to what I've said and I'll reach down and pull you out from calamity. This God is a saving God. It's extraordinary what he's done. But this saving in Jonah goes beyond the book of Jonah. Back at chapter 1, verse 17, what did we see? We see that Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. You see, Jonah's kind of death and resurrection points to a greater one. The death and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of Man. And Jesus makes it perfectly clear for us because he points us straight to this moment. He says to those uh, of the generation who don't get it like Jonah, you want a sign? Well, let me tell you what I think. On the screen, Matthew 12. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus goes down into the depths and comes out of the pit. Jesus goes on to say in verse 41, 
The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus' generation was full of leaders who didn't get it like Jonah before. And at that time, back at Jonah, when the Ninevites stood there and saw that all they had to rely on was God's mercy, they saw their wickedness and said, all we can do is turn to God and say, we need mercy. We can offer nothing. They stand and condemn the generation that is not understanding that Jesus has come to fulfill this grace. God's act of salvation is Jesus in the belly of the earth. Not to be vomited by a fish, but to conquer the grave. See, Jonah himself wasn't great. I think we get that when we spend time looking at Jonah. But his kind of death and resurrection was that God did. But the great, real, lasting salvation of Jesus that is here is the greater. You see, the the gracious and compassionate heart of God sees him send his son to die, to take despair on himself. It's this greatness in which he dies for all of sin and conquers the grave that we see his grace and compassion. You see, God doesn't just like the idea of saving. His heart has driven him to get down and dirty and do it himself. Like a husband who thinks, I like the idea of having a wife, but all I want to do is spend my time with my mates. That's, that's not having the right heart. You see, thankfully for us, this is the way that God is. Because he was the only one who could rescue us. He's the only one who can go down into the grave for three days and three nights and conquer death. Jesus went to the heart of the earth when those who he went for hated him. His shadow, Jonah, had the words of salvation and he hated them. God's gracious heart wants to save you as all of the nations. And next week... Uh, This will be vital to our finale as we consider the nations. But as we have this picture of this extraordinary saving act of God and this beautiful moment in which Jesus picks it up and says, that's pointing to me and the fact that I go into the depths for you, I die for you, I conquer death. We see God's saving heart with clarity And so we need to examine our own hearts. We need to consider the salvation that is offered requires a response. 
And so it's not surprising that in the Gospels uh, we see that Jesus sums up the purpose of it all. And the way that the Gospel of Luke does that, I think, is very helpful. When Luke um, sums up what uh, the whole point of the Scriptures are about and what Jesus has come to do in Jesus' words, Jesus says in Luke 24, verse uh, 44, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Do you see there that salvation, sorry about that, salvation brings forgiveness. Let me read it to you again as it didn't come on the screen. It's really important. He opened their minds to the scriptures so they could under, uh, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You see there how salvation brings forgiveness. After the three-day act of Jesus, forgiveness can come. And so, if forgiveness can come, what's the right heart response? To turn back to God. In one word, verse 47, repentance. It's to turn to God. It was for you to turn back to God. And so the question to ask is, is that what you want? Is it? Is that what you need? Maybe before you get to the, is that what you want? Question, you think, well, do I really need it? I'm okay, things are fine. When the Lord of all has gone down into the grave for you, Maybe we need to ask questions whether we need it. You see, if we're truly going to respond rightly in repentance, it gets back to where we started in, in, the, in the talk earlier when I asked you those questions. When you truly know what you love, you respond in the right way to it, not in the way that you determine because you want to do it that way. The right response is true Repentance. You see, turning to a God does not suffice. That's what we see as we think about the sailors. As we learn from the sailors and Jonah and the Ninevites, back in chapter 1, if you you recall, in chapter 1, when they started uh, worrying about what was going to happen and their boat was being destroyed, they all prayed to their different gods and turned to their different gods in verse 5. Whereas Yahweh, the one true God, completely... uh, demands soul, crying out to him alone. Responding rightly to salvation, the sailors point us in the right direction at points. They ended up having a right fear of the Lord when Jonah tells them who his God is. They even make a sacrifice to God. They kind of go, well, we know there's a problem, something needs to be done about it, we can't do anything, we'll make a sacrifice. We don't know any more about the details of that. 
And we know that we don't make the sacrifice because Jesus, the Christ, will suffer. But we learn from that. And when they do that, they make vows. They say, we are going to now live in this way. But even more so, we really need to learn from Jonah. You see, repentance cannot include self-righteous indignation, overconfidence, hatred for God's word, a dislike for his mission. These are all things that I think we have to attribute to Jonah. He seems to be a little bit me-focused to me in that prayer. As I reflected on it this week, inside the fish in his prayer, in my distress I called, from the depths of the grave I called for help. I had been banished from sight. Um, it goes on, when my life was ebbing, I remembered you. And, he, and it, there's this constant refrain of I, I, I. And real repentance is kind of not fully there. Instead, he points to the non-Israelites in verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols don't get grace, he says in verse 8. Instead, maybe there's idolatry in his heart that needs to be examined. Knowing the word of God and being angry and bitter towards it, when he says the theme of this whole uh, book and says, I told you that you'd do that and I didn't like it and that's... See, knowing God's character and not resting in it is not repentance. You see, Jonah's repentance is exposed as non-repentance, I think. When he is confronted with grace and compassion of God, what's he do in chapter 4? We'll see next week. He would prefer to die. What does he say that needs to happen in the beginning of the book? He wants to die. He doesn't want to encounter God and truly repent. He just wants to die. See, Jonah, Jonah does not like the character of God at his heart. You see, true repentance cannot want it for yourself and despise it when God's compassion is given to others. And friends, I've got to be honest with you, I reckon, I believe that wholeheartedly. And at the same time, I reckon there are times when I kind of push it to the side, that I let that sinful nature come up and I forget that God's compassion goes way beyond me and, and can go to anyone. I think if I'm honest, while I wholeheartedly believe it, it's still constantly something I need to be reminded of. You see, in contrast, the Ninevites display a genuine turning to God, at least for a time, as a nation and as a city. Not long, generations later, they're going to wipe out God's people, the northern kingdom. They're not great. But here... And this time, Jesus refers to them as standing to condemn those who don't understand because they believed. They responded in fasting and, and the whole sackcloth thing is a way of saying, I am sinner and I need to rely on you. The king tells the nation, this is who we are. And they call urgently on God knowing they have, well, only his mercy left. 
You see, this is what real repentance needs to start to look like. It's more than knowledge about God's character. It's more than calling out to a God. It's more than depending upon a sacrifice. It's doing what God says with a bitter heart. No, it's not. It's more than just turning back to God for a period. You see, you can't choose your God. You can't choose a sacrifice. You need to choose the God and his sacrifice his way. You see, real repentance is by his gracious and compassionate character. Real repentance is by his sacrifice of himself as the only way in which you trust him. Real repentance means you respond in thankfulness, turning back to God. Can you see the contrast? I hope this week you wrestle with that in your own heart. And as you wrestle with that, it's important for us to realise repentance isn't just a moment where you say sorry and then you move on. And real repentance is not just surrendering to God and that's it, a let, let go and let God kind of way. Real repentance is deeper than that. If I can have a few moments as we get near the end, I want to break that down for you a bit. Psalm 51 really breaks down repentance. David is a broken man. God's king who murdered adultery brings this before God. And we can break down repentance and see what it's like in Psalm 51. We can see, first of all, if you're truly repentant and turn back to God, you see your sin. Jodah hated it. Nineveh acknowledged it. You know, you see the fact that those blind spots can't be blind spots in your life. That gossip is gossip and not just you being helpful for someone else to let them know what's going on. That a white lie is a lie. You see your sin. And actually... The second thing is your sorrow. You have sorrow about it. But your sorrow is not over the consequences and how it affects you, but real sorrow is sorrow that um, is because you know that it grieves God. See, Jonah was grieving God's grace. There's no room for self-pity. You see, sorrow is not, I'm really sorry that that hurt you because it made you feel bad. Genuine sorrow is... That was wrong and God hates it. Can you see the difference? Sometimes when we don't think we've done anything wrong but it hurts someone else, we'll just say, well, I'm sorry, that, I'm sorry that that made you feel this way. And what you're actually saying is, I don't think I did anything wrong, but I'm trying to be kind of helpful to you by saying, well, I know it makes you feel bad. That's not genuine sorrow. It's seeing how it grieves God. There's no room for self-pity. And I think here is sometimes where repentance stops. It's tempting to think that as long as we kind of go, that was bad, God doesn't want me to do that, or I see that, and that's it. But real repentance is to say to God, you know what, I see it and I acknowledge it, that I own it for myself. It's thirdly to confess it. There's no excuse or shifting of the blame. Real repentance is not to say, uh, you know what, I did do this wrong, 
But can I just outline, there was this factor. They did this to me and I was really tired this week and, and you know what, it wasn't really that bad. You know how sometimes, have you ever done that? When was the last time you made an apology to someone without a qualifier? Jonah blames God for his grace. The fourth thing as we're getting close uh, to the end, that real repentance means there is a sense of shame. Not shame that you go into a spiral guilt that just means you fall apart and, and, and it's just a mess. It's shame that acknowledges who God is and that you understand that you are a sinner, that you have sinned and that it's not good. Jonah still thinks he's better than others. Fifthly, real repentance means you hate sin. You hate wickedness. And that's what the Ninevites did at this point, I think. Jonah didn't like that they did that. You see, you hate the way that you were. You see, real repentance does not mean you look back fondly on your pre-Christian life and think, gee, they were good times. That when you give your testimony, the first part when you talk about when you weren't with God sounds more exciting, more fun and of more joy than when you believed in Jesus and now I don't do those things anymore. Thank you very much, everybody. See, that contrast... It's because actually when you look back, you're full of shame for the time you lost your temper and you realised you shouldn't have done it. So you can turn back to God. And the last thing, if you're truly going to see repentance and not just kind of say, yeah, I turn to God, is that these five things mean you turn from sin that you replace it with God's ways, that you turn to Jesus and see who he is and you want to be like him. Jonah still needed that lesson. God's going to give him a very profound lesson next week as we talk about mission. Real repentance means you respond to God. So let me finish by asking you, as we think about repentance today... If you're not a Christian, what you're confronted with is if you think that you need Jesus. Because God is saying that you do because you have a massive problem with him. And what you need to do is not then think, I need to do all these things. What you need to understand is he's saying, trust in me. I have done it all for you. Come back to me and you will be pulled out of the pit. Whatever your fish looks like, I'm pulling you out of that mouth. You can do that today by just acknowledging to God that you need Jesus and you can know that you have that because of his promise that the Christ will suffer and die for you and then there's forgiveness.
Brothers and sisters, don't let repentance stay for that first moment when you turn to Jesus. Christian repentance is not a once and then move on motion. It's a continually coming back to God. That's why I try to help you see what acknowledging sin and moving forward is about. It's not because you've got to continually earn favour with God and you step in and out of favour with God. It's because as his people who are this side of heaven, we still battle with sin. And so if we turn back to God, we want to deal with it. We want to actually not have blind spots to sin because we want to be like Jesus, knowing that we are saved, knowing that heaven is our reality because he's done it all. We don't inadvertently change how we're saved, but we must not ever think that I don't need to continually turn back to God because I'm one of his people. Unless you're perfect, but I don't think any of us are. Let me finish today with a final question. The question that you have to ask your heart, is a repentant heart your response to God's gracious salvation? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that not only did you rescue Jonah, not only did you show your great salvation with the Ninevites, but actually they're just pointing us to the great work of your son who since three days dead for us who is so great he conquered the grave so we can have no uh, questions about our relationship with you Father if today is a day where we need to turn back to you we come to you not with anything in our hands but just asking you to forgive us through Jesus We give you great thanks for him. It's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.